At the beginning of the 90s, mainstream pop belonged to a handful of female artists. Madonna, Whitney and Mariah Carey all owned the airwaves with their provocative posturing and emotive power ballads which dominated the top 40 chart. Also emerging at this time and striking a match amongst her contemporaries was the Irish singer-songwriter Sinead O'Connor. Sinead O'Connor broke the mold and the mainstream with her reworked version of Prince's classic, Nothing Compares to You. Her voice and image sent shockwaves around the globe and the track was named the number one single in 1990 by the Billboard Music Awards. During the 80s, the evolution of MTV and the music video continued to give pop stars the ability to reach even wider audiences and explore their image in ways never seen before. Sinead O'Connor's now iconic video directed by John Maybury became one of MTV's most played videos. It's easy to understand why. Montaging historical statues with biblical references, the video sees O'Connor in her full shaven-headed glory, staring directly down the lens of the camera, wearing long black robes with tears rolling down her face. Even now, some 30 years later, her haunting vocals and radical image are hard to beat. It makes for compelling viewing. Arriving a couple of years earlier in 1987 with her debut album, The Lion and the Cobra, at the tender age of 21, O'Connor had already established a devoted fan base beyond her native island. The release of her second album, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got, in 1990 firmly nailed her into the cross of pop royalty and gave O'Connor the career and inescapable mainstream exposure she's still known for today. At the height of her music career, O'Connor was always outspoken and vocal about issues that concerned her. She used her visibility and platform to highlight and speak out on topics way ahead of the time. Let's not forget, this wasn't the done thing by female artists back then. Case in point, the Grammy Awards. In 1990, following the release of I Don't Want What I Haven't Got, O'Connor was nominated and won the Grammy for Best Alternative Music category. She boycotted the event. In a television interview the day before, she states that she, quote, didn't agree with the award ceremonies or the music industry as a whole because it was mainly concerned with commercial success and materiality, and the artists are encouraging the belief amongst people that material success will make you happy. She continues that, award ceremonies honour people that have achieved material success rather than people who have told the truth or done anything to pass information on to other people, end quote. In the early 90s, this was radical. Never had an artist spoken out so strongly against the music industry at the height of their fame. But this was Sinead O'Connor, who when pressured by her record label to appear more like the other pop stars of the time and to comply with traditional standards of Western feminine beauty, O'Connor went the opposite way, preferring a shaved head and baggy t-shirts. O'Connor's style was distinctive and you could easily argue, again, ahead of its time. If anything, her decisions around her image and the way she presented herself gave more people, particularly women, the power and the autonomy over their bodies that they rightly deserved. Coming from an Irish Catholic background, the autonomy over her own body had, up to a point, always been restricted due to the theocracy and dominant religious landscape she grew up in. But being Sinead O'Connor, she wasn't going to allow that to prevent her from speaking her truth. Welcome to Cancelled. I'm your host, Leah, and this is a show where we look back at some of the biggest attempts to cancel people, corporations, and even countries. You may think the subjects of our study deserve public disdain, 
You may think it's all a gross injustice, but it doesn't matter because all of them are judged in the court of public opinion and ultimately cancelled. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. On the 3rd of October 1992, at the peak of her success, O'Connor appeared on the American television show Saturday Night Live to sing an a cappella version of Bob Marley's song, War. O'Connor had decided on this particular song due to its anti-racism message and strong stance against segregation. She told the producers of SNL in advance that she wanted to make a political statement, and so during rehearsals, she held up a photograph of a refugee child while singing the song. In the reality, though, O'Connor had other ideas. This is how it went down. Dressed in white lace with candles burning in the background, the scene could easily be a church recital, with O'Connor cast as an angelic embodiment of innocence. In a way, the more minimal her presentation is, the larger she shines. Towards the end of the song, when singing the lyrics, Victory of Good Over Evil, instead of a refugee child, O'Connor revealed a picture of Pope Jean-Paul II and held it straight into camera. After dramatically tearing it up into small pieces, she finished the song and shouted, fight the real enemy, before she threw the pieces up into the air. It was a daring and chilling move. The audience, obviously stunned by what they've just witnessed, neither booed O'Connor or applauded her. In the silence, the firm stance of O'Connor, still staring directly into the camera, is hauntingly poignant. The fallout began pretty quickly, and in the days before Twitter and hashtag cancel culture, O'Connor managed to touch a nerve with her performative action. A nationwide audience saw the live performance, which the New York Daily News cover called a holy terror. NBC, the network which ran SNL, received 4,400 complaint calls in total. The Vatican, who had presumably heard about the performance, stayed silent. The following Saturday, Joe Pesci, the Catholic Rays host of SNL held up the Pope photo, showing that he'd taped it back together. The audience went wild. Later, Madonna criticized O'Connor's actions, telling the Irish Times, quote, I think there's a better way to present her ideas rather than ripping up an image that means a lot to other people. She added, If she is against the Roman Catholic Church and she has a problem with them, I think she should talk about it. End quote. And when she also appeared on SNL later that season, she held up a photo of Joey Budafuco, who was sent to jail for having a relationship with a minor, and mocked Sinead, quoting, fight the real enemy, end quote. In America, the place O'Connor now called home, people wanted an apology. In response to the performance, the National Ethnic Coalition of Organizations invited people to send them their Sinead O'Connor cassettes, vinyls, and CDs in return for a $10 donation to charity. Once they'd collected more than 200 items, a 30-ton steamroller crushed the plastic and vinyl outside her label, Chrysalis Records Offices, in New York. Two weeks after her SNL performance, O'Connor was performing at a Bob Dylan tribute concert in Madison Square Garden. During an improvised version of War, 
the booing from the audience became so loud that O'Connor left the stage in tears. At this point, O'Connor was beginning to be seen as a problematic performer who placed their own agenda front and center of the entertainment. If we ignore the backlash and controversy surrounding SNL and start to look at why O'Connor did what she did, we begin to understand a much more personal battle with a deeper historical narrative than ripping up a picture of the Pope. Firstly, the picture of Pope Jean-Paul II had belonged to O'Connor's mum, Marie, who had died in a car accident when O'Connor was just 19. In 1993, in a letter to the Irish Times, O'Connor publicly spoke about the abuse she suffered by her mother for the first time. Her brother Joseph backed up the claims, referring to the abuse as, quote, extreme and violent abuse, both emotional and physical, end quote. In O'Connor's 2021 memoir, Remembering, she speaks in more detail about the scale and resulting damage her childhood caused her, quote, Ireland under theocracy was a very difficult place for a child to be, end quote. O'Connor's performance on SNL wasn't exclusively a jab at the Pope per se, but actually the Catholic Church, who'd been covering up abuse scandals within the church for decades. The tearing up of the Pope's image was a statement against child abuse, both in the church and seldom mentioned in the home. O'Connor was also shredding the memories and experiences of her mother. During an interview on The View last year, O'Connor says, quote, The church created the type of people that abuse their children in their home like my mother did. The picture symbolized the kinds of monsters that Catholicism created by beating the crap out of kids at school, and then those kids becoming parents themselves, thinking this is how you raise a child, end quote. O'Connor's theory is that this toxic cycle of abuse can be traced back to the English invasion of Ireland in the 12th century, which was authorized by the only English Pope, Pope Adrian IV, for money. She claims that when the English invaded, quote, they drove people out of our homes, broke up communities, starved us and stripped us of our identity and language, end quote. Her thoughts are still considered provocative today. She blames the education system overseen by the Catholic Church as the result of spreading lies and misinformation about the atrocity. She believes she wasn't told the truth by the people who killed off every other truth. Quote, the Catholic Church have controlled us by controlling our education through their teachings on sexuality, marriage, birth control and abortion. The lies they told us with their history books. End quote. Take, for example, the potato famine in Ireland, which O'Connor says wasn't a famine at all, but was actually potato blight and systematic starving. The blight resulted in potato crops being non-edible, which in turn resulted in the starvation of thousands of people because all other staple food products like meat and fish were shipped out of the country under armed guard by the English on behalf of the Roman Empire. O'Connor believes the trauma created by these catastrophic events has manifested in domestic abuse and addiction because people don't really know what happened to them years ago. O'Connor sees a link between child abuse and all the problems in the world. It would be easy to dismiss O'Connor's thoughts and beliefs as conspiracy theories, but let's not forget, O'Connor was openly discussing these topics at a time no other successful pop star would be. Sure, Madonna poked at Catholic iconography too, but never went so far as to jeopardize her own income or discuss her own personal history. O'Connor was using her own personal experiences as a springboard for change. Her vulnerability and openness about such intimate topics allowed O'Connor to begin the recovery process. She says, quote, If the truth remains hidden, 
then the brutality in which I grew up in will continue for thousands of Irish children, end quote. She decided as a child that one day she'd find a way to tell the world what was happening in the home, which is why she opens her mouth to sing, so her story can be told. Back to the SNL performance in 93. O'Connor exposed a deep ingrained trauma both in herself and the land she grew up on. She says, quote, I wanted to create an opportunity for myself and other people to say how they feel. It wasn't a stunt, it was a protest, end quote. In March 2010, Pope Benedict XVI wrote a pastoral letter of apology for all the abuse that had been carried out by Catholic clergy in Ireland. O'Connor was right and way ahead of the discussion. Beyond that, and very cleverly, O'Connor also chose the SNL performance to derail her own career because she didn't want to be a pop star anymore. In fact, she had never wanted to be a pop star, and it was only an accident she became famous. She was more aligned to the protest singers whom she'd admired growing up in the 1970s and hated the attention she was receiving as a woman in the glamorized music industry. O'Connor has always been outspoken on topics ranging from religion, feminism and human rights, and in today's cancel culture, it's these views which contribute to public disdain. O'Connor goes against the grain, but in doing so, highlights and exposes the industries at work. Years later, she would describe the SNL performance as, quote, the best Saturday night out I'd had in a while, end quote. Which is testament to her strength, honesty, and generosity as a protest singer. This episode was written by Rhiannon Styles. This is a Broccoli production.